Okay. Um. Thanks, everyone, and welcome to the CEO class session again. And I'm Siron, uh, founder of CEO class, and now I'm based in Hong Kong. And a little bit um, background of CEO class, as you you guys may know, um, because of COVID, we believe that there is a lot of um challenge, but also we can see a lot of opportunities. So um. Through uh, the CEO class session, we invite different uh, CEOs around the world and share about their stories. And we focus on the personal goals and growth. And hope that this content and this session will bring you some inspiration on your career or in some inspiration of your your personal goals. So uh, it is really great that today we are have um, wonder to join us as our guest. So uh, hi, Wanda. Can you uh, introduce a bit yourself and share what you do? Thank you, Siren, and hello, everyone. I guess good evening for most of you, but for those based in uh, in other time zones, a good afternoon or even a good morning. Uh, my name is Wander Meyer, originally from the Netherlands, but I've been in Hong Kong since '98, so that's quite a long time. Although I did go back and forward a few times, but since November. I'm executive director, which is an old-fashioned term for CEO of Kadori Farm and Botanic Garden. And Kadori Farm and Botanic Garden is the largest uh, environmental NGO of Hong Kong. We employ about 250 mm -hmm. people. With a history of about 75 years now, it was established by the Kadori brothers in the 1950s as a farm for immigrants from mainland China. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as you mentioned, like um, you, you come to Hong Kong from Netherlands. So actually, what brings you to Hong Kong? I guess more the question is what brings me to Asia. I started backpacking as at earlier age when uh, I guess like most of you are studying, I backpacked to Asia. And then in 95, I was working, I, I took a sabbatical. I traveled for the whole year in Asia and somewhere in May, I arrived in Hong Kong. I love the city. I mean, the, the, the mix between East and West, the food, the, the dynamic pace. Yeah. And I returned in 98 for a, a real job. So I think the dynamic of Hong Kong is what I always like most about the city. Uh, that's, that's really great to know. So, um, like, um, can you share more, more about like your role in as the executive director and like in, I think in, in this now, now the COVID situations, I believe it, it also brings some, some challenges for your organization as well. Can you share more about like how's the, the, the situation and, and how you deal with it? Yes, it brings a lot of challenges, I guess, for, all, yeah. for a lot of people. But of course, we are a, a semi-public institution. We, we have more than 150,000 visitors a year. So people come to the farm to, to, to walk, to see the animal displays. And basically what we do is to show alternative lifestyles, to have a low carbon living. So we have a large sustainable agriculture. We have a horticulture in botanic gardens. We have a rescue center for wild animals. And all these things exist actually to demonstrate the general public how you can live more closely and more in harmony with nature. But at the moment, we cannot invite any people. We are closed like most public uh, places in Hong Kong. Yeah. The reason why we exist is very difficult now because we closed the farm two weeks ago. And of course, our people, our staff are still working with the animals, with the plants, but we can't have any programs so we cannot invite our guests, which is a big challenge. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
So um, actually, um, now uh, now you you um, your work is more on the environment uh, environmental sustainability sectors. Can you share more? Like, is it um, like after you graduate, you you automatically think that you need to go in this sector, or actually you have some changes in your career? Okay, uh, Sire, I can talk a long time here, so let me yeah. interrupt me if it takes too long. But I think it makes a bit sense to go to this journey, and also for the audience who likes to learn more. I mean, how you become perhaps a CEO. Let me first talk about my work now, and then about the journey, if that's okay. Yeah. Sure. So, Glory Farm is a pretty large institution. Like I said, we have two hundred fifty people, and with several locations, it's one hundred fifty hectares with a lot of space. Basically, we have a lot of slopes. We have a lot of places which you maintain. So above, first of all, it's a management function. I mean, we have eight departments, and each department needs to be managed, needs to be, and I always see my task as a CEO. And for those of you who, be, who would like to become a CEO one day, I've done this in many places, in many different companies and countries. Staff always comes first. People always say customers comes first, but I believe your staff comes first, because if your staff is satisfied, then they take care of, the, of your guests or your customers. So your staff comes first, and so for me, my major role is to make sure that the people we employ are happy people, are satisfied people. Mm -hmm. The people who are not happy, basically, you can better ask them to to seek another opportunity. But in general, that's not a big issue. And you have to make sure you recruit the right people. And when you run a company, you need to have a certain philosophy, a certain idea. What is the vision and the values of the business, or the corporation, or the NGO? It doesn't really matter. But a company needs to have a soul, needs to have a DNA. Mm -hmm. And I think as a CEO, it's most important to make sure you you formulate, or if it's there, you articulate the vision and the strategy, and you also act accordingly. So for that, I think that's very important that you communicate why you exist, why do we exist in life. And of course, for Kadori Farm, that's quite easy. I mean, we try to improve the environment in, in a relationship mm -hmm. with nature. But also for corporations, also for any business, you need to ask yourself the question, why do we exist? What are we contributing to society? I think that's important to your customers, to your clients, to your staff. So as a CEO, I think my major role is to make sure that the organization is well managed, is satisfied and has a view on the future. I think that's a CEO. Mm -hmm. So that's the vision, the mission and the strategy and the values. I think it's important to have values mm -hmm. in an organization. Now then about my how I got there, I mean, I didn't leave school and thought I'm going to become a CEO or a managing director, mm -hmm. executive director. But I always like to, I would say, lead groups. So quite naturally, after I started working, I was a team leader, and then you become a department head, and then you become a managing director. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy that, it goes quite naturally. And that's a bit how it went in my life. Now, how I became an executive director on Kadori Farm in Botanic Garden is quite different. This is my first and I'm 60 plus now. This is my first non-profit job. So I worked 30 mm -hmm. years for the corporate sector. And this is the first time I work for a non-corporate, which has different, I would say, different ways of operating. Uh, it is generally a bit slower than what I'm used to, but also it's a bit more relaxed in that sense. Um, it has different, of course, goals. I mean, at a company, mm -hmm. your first goal is, or your second goal is to make sufficient money to survive. That's not... Uh, that's a bit different, as of course, in a, in, a, in a foundation where we get the money, in this case, from the Kadori family, mostly. Mm. 
um, I think how to to get at such a role. You need to have a broad perspective on matters and learn always when you can. And I think I've done a lot of different things in my life. I worked for different companies. I lived in different countries. I stopped. I stopped a few times working. I traveled for a few years. And I think a very diverse way of living makes you more suitable as a CEO because it's more easy to understand other people and also not to panic too easily when things go wrong, like this COVID situation. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned about how,、uh, like, you guys will recruit the white people, right? So I, I just thinking like in the student perspective,、um, if I, I turn another way around, like for the student, how they can find the right company to work? Do you have any any suggestion, like <coughs> when they are they are、yeah. finding their job? The right company is perhaps not the right thing, but the right profession first, especially as a student. What you would like to do. Now, I have this lot of discussions, actually, not just with staff, but also I have two sons of 22 and 24 who are studying and are looking what they want to do next in life or after their studies.、Mm-hmm. And my advice to them is, but also to other people of, 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 of the same age, you first have to always look at a profession, a company, a sector which you enjoy. Because if you're not enjoying it, then you are doing 40 years or whatever something you don't enjoy, and you should never do that. So you should do something which you enjoy. If you enjoy, I mean, fixing tooth in another one's mouth, then you should become a dentist. But if you don't enjoy that, I would never do it because then it's no fun at all. So first,、mm-hmm. what do you enjoy in life? You know what's important for you. In my case, I really enjoy being in nature. I grew up on a farm, and for me, it was always important. That I mean, that's why I joined Kadori Farm. It's very close to nature. So, what do you enjoy? In my background,、uh, apart from、uh, working in a farm, I've done consultancy most of my life in market research, in, in, in strategy, and consultancy. And for that, you need to have curiosity and also learn about、uh, different companies. So, the first thing is, what do you enjoy? Secondly, of course, you need to be good in things because if you enjoy it, I enjoy playing football, but I'm very a very bad football player. So I could.、Mm-hmm. Wanting to be a football player, but I don't have the abilities or the capacity. So, after you, what you enjoy, you need, you need to assess for yourself: Am I good in some things? And if you're good in some things, you in general enjoy it. And if you're not good in things, you will not enjoy it. So, enjoyment followed by capabilities is important. And then the third thing, of course, I, it's very important the people you work with. So, in some sectors, you work with very aggressive people, you know. And if you enjoy that, that's okay. If you go to commercial banking, in general, people are very focused on money, and it's a very competitive atmosphere. Now, if you enjoy、mm-hmm. that, join that sector. If you don't enjoy it, then you should not do it. If you like stability in life and not so much risk, maybe it's better to join a government. Yeah, and because you will find like-minded people. So the first、mm-hmm. thing is think what kind of people are working there, and will you enjoy working with those people? Because you will see those people more as your own parents. And more as your own husband or or spouse or, or, or wife in the future, probably because you work, spend a lot of time in the organization. And the last one is, can you make enough money? Because、mm-hmm. in general, if you enjoy some things and you're good in it and you have good company, you make enough money to live. You will not perhaps become very rich, but you will be rich enough. And rich enough is enough, you know. No,、yeah. most most people don't get more happy by getting, becoming very rich. If、mm. you have money to have a good life, that's enough. That's all. So that would be my advice to all of you. Yeah, yeah, that that's really true. So, um, like, um, you you mentioned about like now previously you you work on more corporate sectors, 
and then now you change on the NGO and NPO thing. So how how you see the difference? Like the work in terms of the working environments, um, the 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 difference in in the role. So how how you describe the difference of of this kind of two sectors? Yeah, I have to be careful. This is my first job. I've only done it now for three and a half months. It's the, in the other one for more than forty years. So it's a bit difficult yeah. to make that assessment. But I've got I've got mm. friends who works for NGOs. My sister works for the United Nations, which is a very different uh, type of work. But in generally, it's generalizing. At a corporate, things go a bit faster because you have more competition. If you have a good idea but you don't execute fast, then somebody else steals your idea and then steals your market share. So in a company, you need to generally be a bit, a bit faster than in an NGO. Mm-hmm. At Kadori Farm and Botanic Garden, we don't really have competitors. We have, of course, we compete a little bit for fundraising, etc. But there is not much competition. So if we have a certain plan and. For us, it's very important that we execute the plan very carefully because we, mm. we live in an environment with steep slopes. It can be dangerous if you make a mistake in your in your farm itself. And also, we're doing a lot of scientific work, so that's a bit more, I would say, more well thought out. Mm. My previous job is for a startup. In a startup, you need to act quickly, uh, act fast, sometimes make mistakes. That's not a big thing. So I would say the speed of change in speed. It's a big difference. NGOs are generally a bit slower than corporation. Mm-hmm. One. Secondly, my experience is you have in every sector good, good and, and friendly people. I mean, mm-hmm. market research. I like the people a lot in consultancy. Um, and there's some sectors I think are less nice people, but I have never. I chose not to work there, so I would not work for a sector on a topic I'm not interested in because then likely the people who work there are also people I'm not interested in. So when you work for Kadori Farm, of course, all my colleagues are interested in nature, in animals, in plants. In consultancy, most people are interested in 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 how to improve management. If you're a management consultant, or how to improve sustainability. So curiosity is an important thing. That's both.、Mm. I guess what makes a difference, of course, at the end, it's not the values because I believe corporations have good values too. Yeah. But it's more the goal what you try to achieve. And actually, a corporation is a bit easier because one important goal is to make enough money because that's how you survive, right?、Mm-hmm. An NGO, it's a little bit more difficult because if you work for the World Wildlife Fund, for example, the biggest NGO, one of the biggest NGOs in the world,、mm-hmm. what are you, they have a lot of goals, but it's quite difficult sometimes to see how you make progress on goals, right? Yeah. So at a corporation, it's much easier to see how much progress you make if you have a target of hundred million dollars profit. You can, at the end of the year, say, "Okay, we succeeded." If you work for the World Wildlife Fund and you want to reduce the poaching of elephants to not to buy ivory, when have you succeeded? I mean, if there's no poaching anymore or the elephants are safe, so it's much more difficult to measure success for an NGO. It's much more difficult if you work for the United Nations to you want to eradicate poverty. When do you declare a success? So、yeah. at an NGO, I would say it's more difficult to put your milestones and to track success. At a corporation, I think it's a bit more, perhaps easier. You know, you make enough、mm-hmm. money, your clients are satisfied, your staff are satisfied, and you've put a few more goals, and then you move on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So、um, you you also mentioned about like、um, for the students, they they 
if they want to achieve in their career, like some days become an executive director or CEOs, they have to learn always they can. So um, do you have any any suggestions or or ways like they should um, like read more books or they learn from their online course or or even maybe find a mentor to to further their, their understanding like maybe specific for the sectors or, or the knowledge so do you have any any advice on on like how they can learn more let me first take a different on that i think the most yeah. important thing is that you don't you don't consider anything in life as a waste of time perhaps except we're waiting in a queue for the supermarket or things like that but anything you do in life has a certain purpose and you can learn from it so if you for example if you see everything very utilitarian and you want to do things as quickly as efficient as possible then your life is not always pleasant and you don't learn enough from it so nowadays if i have to wait somewhere then I use that time to look around and absorb things rather than getting impatient. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the supermarket. Um, that's why in general I try to, tra- I, I prefer to travel slowly. So when I travel, mm. I prefer to travel by boat or a train rather than by plane. Because that's how you learn more. You learn more mm. when you cross uh, into another country by train or by a ship rather than arriving at an airport. Not possible anyway in the COVID situation in Hong Kong, but normally the slower you go, the more opportunity you have to learn. So take your time to learn things. Don't rush it too much. That would be my first advice. Mm-hmm. Secondly, personally, I'm not a big believer in certain blogs or books. I mean, I don't read much management books because I think they're boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only read perhaps two or three management books in all my life, so I don't really mm-hmm. do that. I more listen to philosophers and sometimes read books and more general historical books to learn more the general listens to it than... Uh, and learn from that. So Satish Kumar, for example, is an Indian Indian uh, activist and philosopher. And you can learn more about how he sees life than I would say there's typical management gurus. Mm. Because also management gurus often are a bit of a, you know, sometimes this decade, it's all, sometimes you talk all about disruption. You know, that's the fad of the last five, 10 years. It's all about disruption. Mm. And everybody talks about disruption. I want to disrupt this sector. I want to disrupt this economy. I think disruption is not always a good thing. I mean, disruption is causing a lot of social uh, anxiety, a lot of pain. Uh, at the moment, Hong Kong is really disrupted by COVID-19, which is not a good thing. So I think you learn sometimes by these management books, which is a fad, which is fashion, rather than you learn something fundamental. And you learn more fundamental things from philosophers. You learn more fundamental mm-hmm. things from history or from general books. Yeah, so I think that's more how I see it. How I learn things, of course, yes, I do. I don't have mentors, but I have a lot of friends and yeah, friends and ex-colleagues and colleagues who are more like a starting board. So some people like to develop their ideas first and then present it to their boss. I like to bounce off ideas to friends and to, to people of, of, of my, basically I worked in the past with their own company or have, a, or have an important role or even with my sons or with my spouse to just ask how they feel about things and how they think I should do things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things as a CEO or executive director, you just are more, more the question you're also pondering in life. How shall I tell this? How shall I do this? So I don't think you learn too much if you read a book from Elon Musk. You know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
but for yourself or your own life, I don't think if you read a book from Elon Musk or anybody of that caliber or, or Jack Mao, just name all this high flying capitals of industry. I read those books actually. I've read a book from, from about Jack Ma and, and Elon Musk because I think it's interesting. But what I learned from it, uh, not much. <laughs> I say I'm also as entertainment than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's how I'm moving. I mean, when I say all this, I I, I don't uh -huh. say you should not read those books or you should not listen to blogs. Uh, I just don't do it. That, that's it. I'm more, I'm more watching, I'm more reading a lot of newspapers, reading magazines and books to more have a general knowledge rather than anything else. Because as, as a CEO, you know a lot of, you know, so a little bit about a lot of things. You know, that's the most important mm -hmm. thing. And when you're a specialist, you know a lot about a few things. So as a CEO, you need to have a very broad perspective. Because now I speak to this class, I need to give some answers. Last week, I was interviewed by Radio Hong Kong about Animal Rescue. And then next time I speak to the board about how to manage the organization. So as a CEO, the most important thing is that you have, well, a lot of knowledge, but not very deep, rather broad than deep, I would say. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, maybe we pick some questions from the audience. So uh, I see like um, one question uh, from uh, Carmel is uh, what to do when you easily get bored in in doing one thing? Um, I don't get easily bored doing one thing because I, I try to avoid that. So I, yes, I uh, can be bored quite easily. So that's why I'd like to be having a very broad role like a CEO because there's so many different things you have to take care of that you're not easily bored. In general, it's actually rather too much than too little. So of course, if you are a chartered accountant, you always have to work on numbers in order accountants, right? So, or mm -hmm. if you like that, that's okay. But if you don't like it, then you are bored. I mentioned the example of dentists before because I have a great appreciation for dentists, but I cannot imagine you would enjoy it. <laughs> that's my own perspective because it's a very repetitive thing to do, right? Yeah. And, and uh, so as a CEO, to give you an example, we have eight different departments. One of the animal rescue center, which is very specific, it's all wild animals. One is an agricultural living. We have a few restaurants with sustainable uh, food, with, with low carbon food. We have an education uh, department where we give education to school classes, but also to visually impaired children, to elderly people. And then of course, I need to check out the numbers. I need to make sure that our accountants are sitting. So it's so diverse that as a CEO, you're actually, I think you're never bored. You can always do things better. Mm. So, so I think it's, it's Maybe, but also is important. I used to have an aunt, or perhaps it was my mother, that said only boring people are bored. <laughs> so it's, it's it's more of an attitude than yeah. what you do. Yeah. yeah, but like how how you strip strip the balance? Like maybe in in your role, maybe something you you really like to do, or some something maybe you it is not your favorite, or is it like some boring admin or accounting work? So. Yeah. Yeah. How to deal with it? I mean, so first of all, of course, how do you make your priorities is very important. Mm. Because there's always a lot of things as a CEO what you have to do. So generally, I like to make a difference between urgent and important. And most people always work on urgent things, but the important things they don't do. And I, I, mm. I make the same mistake. So you first make a matrix. When, when you see urgent here, important there, you have a quadrant with four quadrants. And anything which is urgent of course you do first but you have to make sure you also spend time on important things mm. 
Mm. Most of the time in the morning, I do my urgent things. I clean up my email box and, and, and I, I address things that needs to be addressed immediately. And then I block a few hours to work on important things. Uh, because and, and sometimes I block a whole day and I am not uh, available most of the time via email to work on a strategy piece, to work on a budget. So it's really important that you you don't only work on all the things what everybody's asking you to do, but you work on important things, which is mostly strategy and budget, right? Mm. And and staff. So when you have an assessment in an interview with a staff, you should never say, I don't have time now, come back tomorrow. I always put that first. Because when you say, I don't have time for you now, it gives people the impression you're not important enough, right? So I never, and I hate the Chinese term small potatoes, because I think it doesn't, ex it should not exist. You know, so mm -hmm. you should always make you should spend time on your staff and on important things. Mm -hmm. Now, how you assess all these things and how you, I would say, the question was really important and urgent. What was your question before, Siren? How you assess how not to get bored? Or your question was what's important and what's urgent? I answered that question. Uh, yeah. What did you ask before that? Uh, um, I mean, like. You you may need to do something something you are not really like ah, yeah. to do and something yeah, you yes, exactly. prefer on it. Yeah, so well, you script your balance or like time well, most, management. Most people do is called procrastinating. You postpone yeah. it, right? Uh, and yeah. uh, and and I had a, uh, once an English colleague here who gave lessons about procrastinating. So in English culture, it's called eating a frog because mm -hmm. in, English, in English culture you don't eat frogs. Now that's of course different in French or in the Chinese culture because in France and in China we do eat frogs. But the point is you start with something which you don't like. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do that, at the end of the day you're half tired and then you start on something which you don't like but you don't have the energy anymore. Now, what I normally do, I first start the urgent things and then I try to do things which I don't really enjoy but get rid of them before the end of the day. So mm -hmm. I have, at Pedori Farm I have to sign a lot of checks and a lot of admin in general, I do it before lunchtime, so you still have good good energy, and then you are, you are done with it. So you have to plan it. You really have mm -hmm. to, otherwise you're not doing it, and it comes back the next day. So I put it in my outlook that I have a certain task to do which I don't enjoy, and I've got a very good uh, personal assistant who makes sure I'll do these things as well. So that helps when you have a senior role. In general, you make sure that you have a personal assistant who is a bit aggressive or aggressive, assertive. Mm. And he or she helps you to make sure you do your agenda. So she tells me in Italy, Wanda, you spend too much time on things you should not spend your time on, so make sure you get this done. Mm. Uh, and that really is helpful. So that, of course, is a bit of a luxury position, but yeah. it helps that somebody forces you to do things like your parents did when you were young, to do the things which you don't like. So I always postpone making presentations yeah. because I'm not in, I'd like to give a presentation but not making them. And she forces them to. I, I have them ready on time, and that's stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so, that's so really good advice. Basically, the answer is plan it, yeah. and then make sure it's in your agenda because otherwise you're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And another question from the audience is also about the as, um, kind of self-assessment things. So how how do you self-assess what you like to do, and do you repeat this assessment like every few years? Or, or every month or every day, you try to do some self-assessment on what yeah, you like to do. I see the question coming from Marcia. It's a very good yeah. question. But actually, that's quite easy. I mean, it's just how you feel. If, if you do something you don't enjoy, then you know, oh, I'm not enjoying this. So a couple of mm -hmm. years ago, 
So I worked many years in market research, which I always enjoyed. And in, in Hong Kong, the company is TNS Kansas, the largest com- research company. And I enjoyed it for many years, but then it was being bought by a larger corporation, WPP from the UK, and it became very, very financially driven. And the only thing I had to do as a manager or a managing director was to make sure to squeeze enough money out of the organization, to make sure that the profit was going up all the time. And I started not enjoying it. I started hating it. So then you get that feeling. You go to work and you don't enjoy it anymore. You don't go there with enthusiasm. Mm. You don't feel it's according to your values anymore. So that's about... You do something which you don't enjoy, you feel that. Afterwards, I had another job, which was also actually very well paid, but I, I didn't enjoy it, it didn't give satisfaction. So it's quite easily actually, if you don't get a good feeling from what you do, if you don't go to work enthusiastically, and if you think, oh, it's Monday, I have to start working again, thank God it's Friday, I think then it's not the right job for you. In general, I work over weekends if I'm busy, but I never, well, hardly ever, I mind because I like what I do. Yeah, and if you like what you do, you don't mind working a bit more hours. But if you hate what you do, any hour is too much. So it's more the feeling. If you don't like, I think you 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 feel when you enjoy something or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's a bit easy. I mean, uh, I like that one. Can I ask? A, can I answer a question? And you have one. I saw one coming by for different cultures, which I like a lot because that's yeah, 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 sure. Always one of my things. If you scroll up, I think it came from. I don't know where if you go up a bit with uh, the questions. Is it like how how do you manage people from diverse cultures? Yes, I don't see it anymore. Maybe it's that was a question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a question from Victor. Yes, and what's the surname from Victor? Because let me just check where Victor is from. Um, I can see here. Um, Victor. Okay. Uh, I'm looks not like, sure my pronunciation like, is good. It like a name from, from Nigeria, but it could also be England anyway. But it's, it yeah. looks like a, a, a different culture. That's what I was looking at. But it always has been, for me, a very uh, important question. Because mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, you have to be a different manager than in Hong Kong. I've also been a manager or, or a CEO in, in, uh, in Latin America for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally different culture. So if you manage people from diverse cultures, and I had my company in Hong Kong before, and we once counted, we had 19 different cultures. So of different uh, countries, that's not different cultures, people from 90 different countries, from Hong Kong, Taiwan, Macau, China, mm-hmm. Malaysia, Indonesia, and then go further away, Germany, uh, Canada a lot, because a lot of Chinese Canadians, America, etc. And then we had a question always, how how can we address all these different cultures and styles to make sure that you come, everybody are still, you can communicate well and you appreciate. Mm. Now you have to understand in general in East Asia, and I mean it's generalization, you have to be very careful, but people don't speak up as easily as they do in the Western world. So if you mm. have, if you go in the Netherlands, my native country, and if you're a CEO there or a managing director, people don't have respect for you because you're a managing director. They only have respect for you mm-hmm. as a person, but not because of your title. So they ask you the same question if you are, if you are the same level or not. So there is not a lot of hier- hierarchy there. Mm. In Hong Kong, there's more hierarchy in East Asia. Yeah. So you have to understand that and also understand when you are in a group of people and you ask as a CEO, a junior person opinions that most people won't say a lot because it's not part of the culture. So you have to understand that to to address that. And you can still ask a question when they know you and trust you, then they will give you an answer. I had 
Hong Kong Chinese staff actually order sometimes a bit differently, are very vocal mm -hmm. and ask difficult questions, but it's not the norm here. Yeah. Of course, I try to hire people who are a bit more vocal, a bit more outspoken, because as a consultant, that's important and it's easier for me to work with. But the most important thing to work with diverse cultures is that you understand the other culture and respect the culture. So I have a great mm -hmm. appreciation and understanding. I'm not sure about understanding, but at least a great appreciation of the culture in Asia, or let's say in this case in, in China, and in Hong Kong and China, because I've been here for so many years and I appreciate the hardworking ethics, the honesty, and I the straightforwardness of people here. In Latin America, people have different attitudes and different mm -hmm. beliefs. They're also good people, but differently. So in Latin America, you need to be a different manager than here. And first, when I came from Hong Kong to Buenos Aires, I did not succeed at all because I was managing them in an Asian way and they did mm. not like it. So in Latin America, you first need to spend more social time. Yeah. So here is quite normal to go into a meeting and say, hello, let's get started. In Holland, you need to speak five or ten minutes with a cup of coffee. But here you start almost straight away. That's quite normal. In Latin America, you need, yeah. to, you need at least to speak for half an hour about anything and whatever. And then you start about business. So you need, you need to give it more time. <clears throat> and if you start too quickly, they don't like you. And if you don't like you, they don't want to work with you. So it took uh, me a few years to become, let's say, more of a Latino. But I still returned to Hong Kong because I prefer the working style. <laughs> yeah, but the, but in, in your experience, did you, did you face any any really huge conflict in your team and and how you solve it? Like because of the the different of cultures and, and yeah, I mean. Of course, you have to make sure that when you work with a very diverse cultures, like I said, I had in Hong Kong, yeah, you have to make sure that everybody respects each other, that you give every mm -hmm. every culture sufficient amount of freedom and respect, and also to understand that some things are differently. So, our Japanese team are very different people generally than, let's say, our Indian team. You know, they're just different people. Yeah. And in those days, we it's old days. We used to have a, a, a huge call center to do interviews, and we had a lot of middle-aged. Japanese housewives, actually, who were quite affluent, but they wanted to do something else. So we gave them a different treatment, I would say, as young people who want to make money by doing interviews. So when people say you have to treat all your staff the same, I totally disagree. You have to treat your staff as what's good for them. Mm. And if you treat everybody the same, then some people like it and some people don't. So I would say you have to keep in consideration that your staff is different and you have to treat them different. You have to treat them fairly. That's a different thing. But you don't have to treat people in the same way. You have to treat people honestly and mm. consistently, but not similarly. Yeah. One learning I had, and that's always difficult, mm. when you do a team effort or a company building, in Asia, it's always difficult to do something that everybody likes. So most of the time, again, it's a generalization, but it's a bit true that mm. Asian people like to eat and Western people like to drink. Right, that's a bit of a common denominator. So you ever go out on yeah. Friday night? I mean, my Chinese colleagues like to go karaoke and uh, like to have good food, and the Western people like to drink a lot of beer and other things. That's generalized. And of course, some local people like to drink a lot of beer, and some Western people like to eat a lot. But that was a bit generally happening. And when you start drinking a lot with Asian staff, they may not always like it, but also cannot always handle it because English people can drink generally a lot more than people uh -huh. from. So it doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. So what we found out eventually that everybody loves bowling. Bowling, you can go in Japan bowling, you can go bowling in Argentina, you can bowl in America. Everybody loves bowling. 
So then we hired two double-decker buses and we went bowling with 150 people and everybody loved it. So if you ever become a, a CEO of a very diverse company, I would say go bowling. People love bowling. Everybody loves bowling. So it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Good tips. And uh, another question from Karma. So uh, what thoughts do you have on like if someone who start his career with a journalist, like maybe um, they they don't have a very specific domain or things they can apply to. So they start their career in as a journalist first. So what, what do you think on, on, do you have any thoughts on it? You know, it's always a big debate. What is better? Is it better to be a journalist or a specialist? It's, it's, yeah. it's a question I've been asking often myself. Uh, I studied geography, which is quite journalist study. And it's not really applicable to a lot of things. I mean, uh, if you study geography, it's an interesting study. But if you have a job, if I ask me, what do you really use in your in your job? Mm. It was statistics, and because I'm a social scientist at geography, statistics I use most, which is more specialist. So I would say, if you start as a journalist, um, then you have to choose a job which requires journalist approach, like a journalist or like a researcher or I don't know, but I would say within a journalism, you have to, it's better to specialize on something at least, because especially mm. if you're junior, people hire you for a certain role. They don't hire you as a journalist. I mean, the more senior you get, the more important it is that you are a journalist. But if you're more junior, I would say you, it's better to have at least some specialization to start mm. somewhere. Yeah, so in any job you start, I mean, you need to have a certain skill because that's why you're hired when you're junior. Yeah, mm-hmm. because what you learn at university. Unless, I would say, yeah, a consultant needs to be more of a journalist, but I only believe you can be a good consultant after you have quite a few years' experience. I don't believe in consultants who come straight from universities. I mean, that's for me not... Because a consultant has to give advice to senior people. Mm-hmm. And somebody who has no experience herself or himself, in my view, cannot be a consultant. You first need to have quite a lot of experience with that. Yeah. Well, I would say if I look back what I learned at university and did afterwards, I would have preferred actually to be a bit more of a specialist at the beginning because it would mm-hmm. have accelerated my career. Yeah. Yeah. So another question from Lin. So uh, it is more about the manage the, the staff. So do you have any experience and tips on how and keep young staff happy and motivated because uh, Lin found them super excited but uh, are easily distracted and are fast to look for a new job if not inspired in the current positions. So how how you maintain the young staff especially? I would say if you're not inspired in the current position, that's the, that's the fault of the employer, not of the employee. Hmm. So I would say if you make sure that your staff have an interesting position, and they found the job interesting, they will not easily go. So when it came to Hong Kong, when they told me staff in Hong Kong are, are leaving very quickly. Mm-hmm. But I learned that a lot of employers don't pay a lot of attention to their staff. They also treat them as disposables. And they always say Hong Kong people only work for money, which in my in my experience is not true. Money may be a little bit more important here than in, in my native Netherlands, but also people in Hong Kong or, or generally in, in, in the world are looking for the purpose in life. They're looking for something which they feel is valuable and is important. So mm-hmm. as an employer, 
it's your task to make sure that you offer something which is relevant and really interesting and inspiring for your staff. And if your staff is leaving after half a year, well, then you have to look at yourself because apparently you're not offering something which is inspiring enough. It is true that people are perhaps a bit more e easily leaving, yeah. but you know, that's the reality. You cannot blame the staff for that. It's that how the world looks like. So you have to make sure as an employer that your job in your organization is interesting enough that people stay for a reasonably long time. And if they're leaving very quickly, well, then you have to look in the mirror. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so I think um, another question is um, um, like in in this COVID situation, I think for the young people, there's a lot of challenges and and change of the market. So, um, any advice you you can share is how they can better prepare themselves. Because I think, um, except, especially like for the university students, like when they are still studying in, in this area, maybe after one or two years, the market can be totally changed. So how they can better prepare themselves? Yeah, I, I find it difficult how to prepare yourself for a, a COVID-19 situation, because this is the first yeah. time in history, at least in my life, anything mm -hmm. happened like that. And, I'm struggling with it too, you know, everybody is. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no major upsides from COVID situation apart from a little bit less pollution perhaps. Yeah. So I would say more generally, how do you prepare yourself for a fast changing world? Because that's perhaps the overarching question. Mm. It's by being very broad, by learning different things, even though it may not be immediately applicable. And there's one thing I like to share, of course, everybody likes to have at least one tip. It's a speech from Steve Jobs in Stanford mm -hmm. in 2005. It's a very famous speech. You can find it in YouTube. It's called Connecting the Dots from Steve mm -hmm. Jobs, uh, the founder and, of course, the former CEO of, of, of Apple. It's called Connecting the Dots. And he did an awful lot of things in his life which didn't make sense, actually, from a career perspective. Mm -hmm. And one example is Chinese calligraphy. You know, he studied how to make Chinese drawings in Chinese letters. And of course, that's not easy. I mean, when people say, why would you do that? What's the benefit from it? But later, he used that in the design of his, his Apple devices. So Apple, Apple devices are always better designed and more elegantly designed than most other competitors. So he always mm -hmm. looked like fine. That was not his idea when he started studying calligraphy, but he did, that's how he got that notice. Now that's the same thing. And of course, I, so you always have to do something which you think is interesting. And later you will see how it falls into place. Later you may see how you can use it in your career. So I would yeah. say keep your interest as broad as possible. Don't focus too much on one thing and don't think too much about straight about your career. If you learn a lot of things and you're always encouraging yourself to be curious and you have curiosity, I think then yeah. things will, will happen. You know, once you've done university, you have enough baggage, enough background to be successful. Of course, it, it, it takes more than that, but in general, you have enough knowledge, enough education to be successful once you've done university. I would not be too concerned about that. But that's another thing, maybe talk about young people nowadays. Uh, and I, I don't like it to say how the old days were and how the young days mm -hmm. are, because they feel old. But I would say sometimes people are a bit too focused on the immediate future, about the mm -hmm. career now and about how, where will I be in five years. If you go to an employer, a prospective employer, 
and they ask you, what's your career path? Where do you think you will be in five or 10 years? To be honest, I will always say, I have no idea. I have no idea. You give them an answer because they say, you know, I don't know. But to be honest, I don't think five years ahead. I simply don't. I mean, I think one or two, three years ahead and I'll see how it goes. I'm now executive director of Kadori Farm. Uh, last year, March, I returned from Hong Kong to the Netherlands. Mm. I had no idea I would have this job one year later. I mean, I was back in the Netherlands and I was doing something else. And then a headhunter contacted me and I returned to Hong Kong. That was totally not expected. The thing was that I had a very broad background. So I grew up on a farm. I know something mm. about wildlife. I love botanic gardens. I visit botanic gardens all my life in anywhere in the world. So that's a good example. I already visited my first botanic garden when I was 19 in Berlin, I remember. And I went to all my travels, I always go to botanic gardens. Now, that was never because of my career. I never thought maybe one day I will become the director of a botanic garden. But of course, in my interviews last year, when there were 18 people looking for this job, I could mm -hmm. sell them. I'd been in botanic gardens in, in South America, in the Indian Ocean, and in Berlin, and in Switzerland. So at least it helped in the interview. And it was not planned like that. So I think I elaborated your point a bit, but do as many things you can in life mm -hmm. and it will go okay then eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And and you never know what's next, what is the, the next opportunities and, and chance you can make use of it. So, um, okay, I, I think some last questions from, from last year. So do, do you sometimes struggle with keeping a uh, mental balance and how do you help yourself then? Yes, I do struggle. I mean, the most important thing is when you have something on your mind, I mean, I'm not sure it's mental balance, but I don't sleep very well when I have a big problem. It's not because it keeps me awake in terms of concern, but it's more I think about it too much. You know, so you have something which is a big issue At the moment, it's definitely the whole COVID situation. How can I keep my staff satisfied or happy? How can I keep them motivated? You know, because they all come to the farm and there's no visitors. They have work, but it's why do we do this? And, and this is not, if it's worth for a few months, it's okay. But it's already happening now for two years. Mm. And we even don't know what, the end, what will happen the next couple of months with the whole COVID situation. So that's basically, uh, it's difficult sometimes to, to stay happy and ha mentally happy on that and healthy. So how I deal with that, I do yoga, yoga that helps. I mean, I, uh, I have yoga lessons twice a week. I hike an awful lot in Hong Kong. Every Sunday I'm out the whole day, basically. I used to hike three, four hours. Now I hike six, seven hours just to keep mentally okay. So if I have something on my mind, I hike almost the whole day or at least a long, a long half day with friends or sometimes on my own. And that it actually clears your mind. So being out in nature, Uh, being and hiking on the trails in Hong Kong is of course perfect for that and I hike all over Hong Kong I think that helps I mean in general watching more YouTube videos or watching Netflix is not making you more happy mm -hmm. so I try to avoid that so I try to be physically active and and occasionally Friday nights in the good old days before COVID you go out and you party a bit and uh, you drink too much and then the next day you don't feel great but mentally you feel better so I would also say sometimes you have to relax and unwind and go to the nightlife of Hong Kong and making sure that you have also some pleasure in life and not just thinking about work only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Help, I think nowadays health is the most important thing, no matter mentally or physically. 
And so I, I think time is running very fast, and to, tonight we have really fruitful discussion with Wanda. So do you have the last slide to the to the audience? Yeah, I, I said a few times, but I think I, I maybe I just reiterate a few times. That first of all, use broadly of your life. Don't see a career as something which is only uh, a narrow path. I think some people think you should separate your private life from your professional life. Personally, I don't believe in that. I mean, in, in me, it's intertwined. And nowadays, with working, you have to make sure sometimes you relax, of course. But I could not do something professionally which would not align with my personal values. So I think it's important that your private and your personal is overlapping in alliance because when you do something important, if you just do it for something to make money and you spend that money and you make money but you don't enjoy it and then you have a lot of money but you do it something which is pleasant, then most of your life is still not pleasant. So my point always is it's very important to make sure to understand for yourself what are your values, what makes you tick, mm. what makes you happy and then choose a job. Keep it broad, I said it earlier, and don't think too much about your career. For me, I have to be very honest, the career is important for me. I mean, I enjoy being an executive director. I enjoy feeling, I would say, appreciated or valuable, but I didn't plan a career exactly that say, this year I do this, this year I do that. It just happens along the way. So I think that's perhaps, I would not be too concerned if you feel one year it's not been so successful, I mean, each of you was in in your 20s. You will live in the next 80 years until you're 100, more or less, statistically. You know, most people in Japan and Hong Kong are, be, are 85 plus statistically. So you will become a 90 years. You still have 70 years to go. So I would say don't hurry. You have enough time. Yeah, that's really great. And really fans um, wonder tonight and really fruitful sharing. And, and I believe everyone... Um, Tonight um, have um, really great inspirations on their their thoughts on their career and and also on their life. So uh, thanks everyone, and that's all for today's sessions. And good night, everyone. Yeah, bye. Thank you, Soren, and thank you everyone. I hope you enjoyed it and had a little bit of inspiration. So t- look for the job you enjoy the rest of your life, or at least a few parts of it. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Thank you.